Justin. Hello, mate. Hello. I don't know why I had to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how like mate is like such a gross word in, in American English, but it's like cool everywhere else? Yeah. I actually like it when guys say mate. It's like the it's their version of bro. Yeah. So why do I like that? I don't know. Let's not get into it. <laughs> like my mate and I were just like talking about you. Yeah. <laughs> it feels a little gay. Yeah. That's it's... my opinion, and I'm entitled to it. <laughs> Mate sounds gay to me. It's just well, like, yeah, whatever. It's like intimate or something. Intimate. Intimate, <laughs> baby. How are you doing? I'm good. I get to see you tomorrow. Yeah, we're having breakfast. We're having breakfast in person. So weird. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I'll ask you on the pod, will you pick me up and drive me? Sure. You had to say yes, because we're recording. I that was that. low of me. Well, and it was also low of me to hesitate, but... I know. But I I'm a, close to you. Yes, but I just, like, I was just thinking of all the things that I need to accomplish today in order to be in bed by the time that it's going to be, like... Yeah, because we have to be there at 9. Right. So, like, so, so that was, like, so when you asked me that, I was, like, I had to like reorder all of today. Yeah. To make that like a possibility that didn't suck as far as just waking up, period. Um, waking up will be hard, but it's going to be worth it because we're doing something fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're having a bit of a reunion with some old, like our old people. Yeah. Like our, they're like my second parents, mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. what I call them. You Did you have to other people who don't? know them that is how i introduce them every time <laughs> yeah and you had well you mentioned second parents in the in the in this podcast that we recorded with yes. our guest today but you're not talking about these second parents these are a different pair of second parents um no i think i was talking about the same people yeah yeah i thought it was earlier like the the, the story you were referencing but whatever i can't even remember when i said it now hmm but that was actually from the next week's episode. Oh, right. We recorded a double header, guys. I am so, like, confused and flabbergasted at my schedule right now. Um, that's yeah. how I'm doing because you didn't ask. But um... I didn't get to it yet. <laughs> we just have to make it to breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We do. <laughs> We both have a long road till that happens. Right. <laughs> well, Listener, let's get this. Let's get this episode underway. Well, hold on. I just want to like, like our listeners. I'm just wondering if they are feeling the same kind of like, like, post-pandemic chaos of like, all right, everything that was postponed is happening right now. Plus, everything that was going to be happening right now anyway is also happening right now. And oh, by the way, like. Learn more how to things talk to people again right and like i mean i'm still wearing my mask around people i don't know because it's like i know that i've you know been vaccinated but i like i don't know where they've been and yeah. and i feel like now i'm like this old like old fart who's like wearing a mask and like of the past and can't get over it and i'm like okay but i'm not over it yet 
It was the weirdest year ever. Ever. And it continues to be weird in new and surprising ways. Mm -hmm. What's another way that's been, that it's like weird for you now, now? Um, I think I already said it, but like talking to people, Mm -hmm. I think that I'm socially awkward, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially around groups of people. I like Mm -hmm. can't take the stimulation. Like I was around a group of people the other day Mm -hmm. and I went downstairs into this remote room and hid for like 20 minutes just alone (laughs) on a couch. And my friend texted me and they were like, where were, where are you? And I was Mm -hmm. like, I was overwhelmed. Uh Yeah. We need like a chill corner for like every room. Yeah. (laughs) Somewhere like with like lavender and like a mist machine and like, and uh, I can't drink a weighted blanket. (laughs) <laughs> Most people can drink and it alleviates the pressure, I feel yeah. like. But that was happening before, you know, you too. You have to be sitting there sober. Like, listen, I'm grateful to be sober. <laughs> but it does, it is sometimes a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there's that. <sighs> Calvin's yawning. He I'm yawned. So sorry. I'm so sorry. We are got, you, we oh, both got up very early this morning. Mm-hmm. Are you, are you outing me because you, you don't want people to think that you're the one yawning? No, I was just being a dick. Oh, okay. I forgive you. Thank you. Okay, well, we do have an exciting episode today. Yes. Um, while Helmut um, is a new friend of mine, we got introduced through a mutual friend um, uh, from a connection I made in Florida a few years back at a residency. And over the course of the pandemic, um, Helmut and his posse uh, started a podcast called The Gaily Dose. And you know I love a pun. And um, <laughs> and uh, you can check their stuff out at The Gaily Dose Pod um, all over social media. And they talk about all things gay, obviously. And, um, and I was a guest on their podcast. And I loved what Helmut had to say about being a gay parent and you know, just his experience in general. And so we are going to hear all about that. Today, starting now. One, two, three, four. Oh, we were Christian kids. Oh, we were Christian kids. Oh, we were Christian kids. I mean, like, really, really, really Christian. Hello, 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 hello. How are you? Hey, doing great. How are you? <laughs> okay, you have a very interesting name. Will you, will you, just just for the sake of the recording, tell us exactly how to pronounce it? Yes, it's Helmut, and then technically my, my last name's Domagalski, but Hell like damnation, and then Moot like a cow goes moo with a T at the end. <laughs> and. <laughs> Is that like tell, tell us tell us about your name? Is that it's okay? an old German name actually? Um, if you were to go to Germany, you'd probably only meet like grandpas with that name. Um, it means loyalty. Mm. And my father gave me that name, and my mother because my uncle was named that, and um, so I kind of have like an old soul German name. I love that. And your second name? Very your last cool. Name? Yeah. And what? And Domagowski. Uh, the Domagalski is, my father was born in Germany, but there's obviously a Polish um, influence in that area of Prussia. Um, and so he actually grew up on the west side of Berlin, inside the wall. Wow. So he came over and uh, became my dad. 
in America with the military. So yeah. <laughs> and you um, are currently based in Atlanta. Yes, in in Georgia, um, but I'm originally from Texas. Uh, very much a, a Texan, and my mom is from El Paso, Texas, where my father met her at a military base. Wow. Yeah. Military. I've got a little bit of that in my blood. Do you really? In my dad's military. Yeah. That's great. No, I, I think it's actually it's funny. I just had a reconnection like my father over even some religious aspects, and he reminded me that he raised me to be a military man's son, which was interesting. I think that that has some some sort of meaning to him so oh what does it mean to you though well it's interesting right because it meant he was always someone that was like do what you mean say you know say what you do wait wait do do what you say (laughs) 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 say what you mean um and um you know commitments are commitments and um don't give up on things and continue and fight for what is quote-unquote right Mm. which in the context of religion because um, it became very clear that he and I are on very different sides of, of certain moral issues now in, in my adulthood. But he just reminded me that um, I was raised a certain way and I should continue to be that way despite the fact that we differ now. Mm. Encouraging to the core of the character that he raised me uh, to be, not necessarily now holding the same ideals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I want to come back to that because I think that's that's a really like important point. I mean, the idea of ideals. Um, but but uh, tell us a little bit about who you are now and what you do, and then I want to go back to to the beginning. Sure, um, I am forty four year old dad of three daughters, divorced. Um, my daughters are 18, 15, and 12. Um, they're delightful. I came out 30 th- at 33. So that's, you know, 11 years ago. Um, and I, am, I live in Atlanta, uh, in Midtown, like in the middle of like where all the gays live. Um, Love Midtown. Atlanta. I do too. I adore it. Um, and it is actually like I finally arrived. I know that may sound silly, but um, I feel very much like I'm in the place in the center of queer culture, though that center um, is now becoming like an archipelago in most cities. Um, And I work in a healthcare tech company, um, but I now get to practice my passion, which is, uh, I podcast as well. um, And I run a gay podcast focused on multiple, yes, super gay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, called the Gaily Dose, and it's uh, it's centered um, really on all topics gay, um, and we're super excited to be just exploring everything from the role of pets to uh, monogamy to you know um, the role of religion um, to politics. So whatever whatever they are, we just love being gay and being excellent in gayness and trying to push us. So that I, and that's my passion. Like, so I get to kind of do like my healthcare tech job where I'm, I'm super nerdy and then I get to do this other passion. So that's my current life. Yeah. I love that. Very cool. So yeah, and I, would, I would say too, you know what, my, my religious the background that we share, it definitely, that spirituality flourishes through the podcast and through my work. So I found new channels to kind of push that passion that are constructive mm-hmm. for me. And 
And so what was your, um, give us your, your quick and dirty about your, your, um, I mean, it doesn't have to be quick or dirty, actually. Um, <laughs> but, but about no, it about... has to be dirty. <laughs> dirty. Dirty if it's real. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but about your uh, your your Christian your Christianity your the, your Christian upbringing. Um, what was was that happening in Texas? And and when did you start? Like, what was your first exposure to the church? And and um, how 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 deep did it go for you? So I was like. I'm one of those kids that like sat with old people and listened to them and really listened to them because I really wanted to, to learn. Right. And so it's kind of funny because I always think like faith goes from faith to faith, if that makes sense. Mm. But like my dad recounts stories when he was little in the Lutheran church in Berlin and he would just cry at the story of Jesus. Like my dad's a crier and he just fell in love with that story when he was little. And my mom, um, over, you know, on the other side of the, <laughs> the globe in Texas, um, her um, her grandfather had um, been one of Ponch de Villa's men and fought for the rich, you know, to, to take to take from the rich to give to the poor. And um, he was saved by a Pentecostal woman, like basically from after a war and became a Pentecostal preacher um, in Mexico and then um, became ultimately Church of Christ. So he followed a line to the Church of Christ through his seeking of the word and and that's where my mom's faith was born and raised. Um, and so I was born to my parents in the Church of Christ, right, while they were very much practicing. And in fact, I was the catalyst for my mom, truly like, I'm going to dig deep into this faith because I know my children, you know, are going to be a testament before God. So put all that weight on your shoulders when you're little, right? Like I was a little kid that listened to all that stuff and was like, oh my gosh, like this is important. Um, and my father became, um, joined the same religion. I watched his baptism and his conversion. Um, and I remember all those things and I thought, wow, you know, these people were so sweet and good and loving people. Um, and I really respected that and I thought it was beautiful. But also at a very young age, probably about maybe seven um, I remember being teased for being called, uh, being called gay, Joto, it was in Spanish that some of the kids would say, or my mom would ask a question. I remember my mom asking my aunt about letting me play with things and use that word. And I was like, what is that word? So I went on the playground and I, tra I translated the word to gay. And then I just approached my mom directly. <laughs> What's gay? Um, and I just knew quickly that God did not approve of gay but that my mom uses the word gay concerned that I might be mm. and that kids called me gay. So I was super like, oh no, like God doesn't like this, but I might be this at a very young age, right? That was pretty intense. Um, and so for me, the church was a place, I mean, I learned so much. If you think about the age that you're at, to hear all these big words, redemption, and you're, you're, you're like thinking through all these quite high-level adult um, concepts, condemnation, confession, restoration, like, you know, other kids are like watching cartoons you know, <laughs> Sunday mornings, mm -hmm. and we're flooded with that on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and special singing nights and certain Bible weekends and, you know, summer camp. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I now look back and I'm very thankful for the amount of intellectual um, rigor it gave me. 
Um, but I really learned guilt a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, at church is very word driven, not spirit driven. Um, you certainly didn't like raise your hands emotionally. Um, it was not that kind of a church that came later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really believed fundamentally I had to embrace so it couldn't be inconsistent that God would help me with my gayness, right? He promised that. And I really believed in him. Absolutely. Like, yes, absolutely. So I, um, I really wasn't faced with the challenge of that until I became an adolescent where my body changed and I started being horny, you know, and I was like, Oh, I like Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I discovered masturbation and I liked it but I liked it in the context of thinking about men. And so it was a great sense of shame. So for me, sexual shame and the church kind of went hand in hand together. And I felt bad about myself and I would just go through a cycle. Um, and I don't know if you relate to it as, as young people who were Christians, but I had a cycle of shame as a child, or at least as a young person of, um, kind of masturbating or being sexual in my mind, feeling bad about it. Then you'd go to church and you'd be like repentant and prayer and you'd work at not doing that. Um, but then you might do it again. And it would just be this cycle, right. Of like, mm-hmm. and it was horrible. And I yeah. on it and like, and it was so alone. You were just so alone in it because you didn't tell anyone. Um, there was so much shame in, for me, in confession of that to other people. And so inside, you kind of had the fight of, well, am I going to believe that God can do this despite my obvious behaviors? And I had to, right? There was no other system for me to work in. Um, I had on the Christ glasses, right? And those yeah. were the only ones I could see out of. And so anything that fell outside those lines were was very, it was unacceptable. I just could not function. And so I would, you know, I was like, gosh, what am I going to do? I got to function. I got to like eventually figure out how to work through this. Jesus is supposed to help me with this. And I pray and I pray and, you know, and like I said, it was a cycle. So yeah, I worked really hard at like, you know, do I look at straight porn to try read rigor and okay, I start dating girls. Right. And it was like a literal, like, I've got to work my way out of this um, and hush these other things. So, yeah. and then, and oh then, my, I couldn't relate more to all of that. All of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I'm being super honest, but that was like, that was the reality. And that is so psychologically damaging. Yeah. And mm-hmm. if you think about that, as a parent now, three daughters, I would never want one of my children to be caught in such a, a, a painful cycle, mm-hmm. painful place with no one to talk to, no one to relate to. Um, that's just not, that is not excellence. That is not what God intended for his people. Um, and so you, you look at that, just, just right, that's just a man's view, a human's view. Mm-hmm. But that's just, that ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> It ain't right. <laughs> it ain't right. So um, I, you know, I did like expose myself. Like I said, I, I tried to like start working on girls, <laughs> working on girls. <laughs> I, really in college, because I was pretty much non, I was kind of asexual in high school. Um, though I was, gay guys would hit on me. 
and I would be so, I was, I remember writing a letter to one gay guy. He wrote me a letter, like a love note, like totally liked me. And I wrote him back a note and I was like, oh, I am so thankful for your expression of love. But believe that God did not desire us. I mean, oh my gosh, you know, like, because I was that committed. Um, and obviously that obviously gay to everyone else. <laughs> um, I went to college, yeah, met, you know, tried to date girls, dated girls. And then in this odd twist of the way life is, my senior year of college, I wound up making out with my roommate, <laughs> who was a guy. Wow. At church. And then the next day, making out with a girl, like for the first time with some sort of sexual context. So now I'm like, whoa, okay, this is confusing. Um, and so I went away to Atlanta. And I basically was like, okay, I'm either going to be gay or I'm going to be, or going to find God. And I gave God six visits. I literally, I don't know why six, it's not biblical, seven's biblical. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to do six visits to, to church in Atlanta. And if I don't find the right church, I'm just not going to do it. And I'm going to mm. one. And the sixth, sixth time, literally, I found this church where I felt like it was like the Island of Misfit Toys. Mm. And I just fit in, right, with all these other sort of odd peoples. And I started going to, it was like a more broad, like a more spirit-filled view of the gospel. Um, and I started going to therapy for being gay with a Christian. Because I was like, you got to go to a Christian helmet. You got to go to someone, you know, who's, who's Christ-following. And I did that. And I kind of worked through some parenting issues. And there's a lot of things that were good in what I went through. Um, and ultimately, I wound up meeting a woman in that church um, who I still feel today I was just driven to um, to get to know her and ultimately be married. And she knew and she understood that I struggled with the desire for men. Um, she knew that I'd gone counseling for it. She knew that I had made out with that guy back in college. Um, and I really thought, you know, this is like, if you choose one human to marry and you're choosing to be um, devoted to them, that's choosing a human, right? Like over all humans. So a straight man's choosing that woman over all straight women. Um, I'm choosing that woman over all men <laughs> in my case. <laughs> and so I thought, hey, cool, like this will work. And then we went to Germany. We were totally isolated. So I was like, what, 23? And I got this job in Europe and we got married and it was really, honestly, we, we married, met and, and moved to Europe in less than a year, less than a year. Went to Europe, but you're totally isolated, right? And then we went to this free church in Europe and it was like super authentic and honest worship. And um, I, you know, we, we made it through, but I will say all through my marriage, it was this constant struggle where I lacked the intimacy and the, um, and the joy of sex with my ex-wife, hmm. I would go to gay porn or I would walk into a gay bar without doing anything, right? I just didn't want to do it, but I wanted to just be there. I was still queer inside mm -hmm. and I didn't have an outlet for it. Um, and you couldn't, right? I, I really, really felt like, and you would have heard me give lessons on being gay. Um, and I mean, like from the, you know, it's possible to work through these things. I really thought I had, Managed through all the while underneath there's these grumblings of unhappiness um and an inauthenticity with myself mm -hmm. that from a young age to to hide to hide these very intimate things from everyone else 
which is kind of sad because then you've learned to hide who you are from your most closest people. Yeah. That's messed up. <laughs> and, and even yourself, right? Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because you, you, you repaint what you're doing, right? You, you paint it differently. You paint it as you're not, I mean, it, it's not really, it's not right for you to have a masturbation life separate from your partner. That's completely on another planet. That's mm-hmm. not good for you. It's not good for your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, but you justify these things because you're doing what's quote unquote right in other areas mm-hmm. instead of dealing with the truth, which as you guys all know, that's <laughs> what you have to do. So uh, she wound up having, my ex-wife had breast cancer after our second daughter. Mm. When you have a breast cancer um, diagnosis, as you may know, you feel like it's a death sentence at first. You're like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, I'm a dad with like two little daughters at the time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be like a single dad possibly. What am I gonna do? You don't know how aggressive it is. And I realized if I were to separate from my ex-wife, I would totally be gay. (laughs) It's horrific to stare into someone else's death and then have that realization in a way. And I laugh because I was just so overwhelmed. Um, It it just didn't seem like what was going to happen, come to my head, you know? Um, And so I, um, I was in a church where if you confessed of, of sins or, or thoughts at that point, I was at a large evangelical church in, in um, Chicago. Mm -hmm. If those things out loud, your brethren would surround you and help you remove the source of your sin. And your fellow brothers would tell the women, for example, so my men's group would like eventually, if you couldn't overcome this gay demon, I knew that they would then tell my ex-wife and many people would know. And now you'd have to work through this in a public almost format, right? Because all people know. And that scared the hell out of me. I was like, no, I'm not doing that, right? I'm not that it would ruin my marriage. I would ruin my family. But and you said that she already knew. So what was did. like, what was the, well, what made it more intense this way? Was it because other people would know? No, I think that ultimately, if it makes sense, there's an aspect where the other individual now derives a pain from you. Mm. So uh, I knew that like, if I don't desire her, she feels undesired, mm. right? And I was worried about, I know that sounds twisted, but I was worried about hurting her, right? And then what if I couldn't overcome this? What if I was going to divorce, right? Ultimately, if I sought this out, that scared me too. I didn't want to be, you know, leave her in a bad situation. And I just, maybe my own fears um, and my own twisted sense of wanting to protect her kept me from saying the truth. Mm. Um, and I might've been justifying that. Right. I might've just, if I really look at it third party now, as I pull back, I'm like, that was kind of selfish, mm-hmm. <laughs> not just suck it up. Right. And do it. But I did what I always did, which was just pull it inside, manage it yourself, get through. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until we'd had our third child and I moved to Atlanta on my own for a period of time, um, that I, sh- I say it with shame. I went online. I had never met someone before. I met someone. I was like, whoa, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I really like 
the connection with the man. And although it was sexual, I do recognize that being gay isn't just about gay sex. Being mm. gay is about your full attraction to a man, like in all aspects and regards, not just um, the sex act. And so for about three months, I went into what I would call like a period of near insanity. I was like seeking out um, partners, right? Because I enjoyed that connection so much. And I had closed that up. My ex and I weren't very physical together mm. and hadn't been. And, um, and it was not, our bed was not a source of joy. Mm. Which, um, and isn't good for any marriage, period. Gay, straight, any, whatever, any, any partnership. And so I, um, at the end of that time, um, we were trying to connect again physically. And I was like, we can't, <laughs> I have to tell you these things. And I just told her all of them. And we went into church mode, right? So now we're like, well, let's tell all of our friends, right? Now it's out there, right? Let's tell our church friends back home. Let's tell a pastor. Um, I started going to a Christian counselor again, who was clearly gay. That guy was so gay. <laughs> and I, I went to um, the, the churches kind of had here in Atlanta, they had, they put gays together with the sexual deviants, the, um, whatever, like sex addictions. So men that were going to parlors and men that were constantly cheating on their wives who were hetero, they put the gays in with them, which was so funny because what I found consistent were that the gay men always knew all their chapter, verse, scripture, everything, right? And they'd be like, snap, snap, snap. Well, here's an inconsistency, right? Like they could just tear the word apart mm-hmm. in a sense. And they were the most questioning. And it was it was comforting to have these other men next to me. I'm not going to lie, right? That were straight, who were struggling with similarly shameful things. But what I kept finding was the gay men kept cheating. They kept, like, I would meet all these men who were like, yeah, I've been here like three years. I'm like, fuck, three years in this place? <laughs> and you're so- Right. And they'd be like, I've been here for three years and, you know, it was fine the first year, but then I met Ned at the gym and then I did this again. Now we're divorcing. And I just sat there like, God, this is it. Like you just sit in this perennial, like loser land. So, um, and I went to gay fathers of Atlanta, which was like gay men coming out. Right. And they were all about getting their sex on. Right. I mean, I kept getting hit on, um, there was, an, and, and I respect some of the leaders were all about helping you, but many of the men were just so about themselves and not about their children. And I'm like, we're supposed to be fathers. Like you can't like check father out at the door just because you that you're gay. And so I just silenced both. I left both um, and just started my own journey of self-discovery and left, you know, what we call regular church going behind and left any kind of uberly gay sort of fathering group behind and just started the journey on my own. Mm. Um, but my, I would say my parents, like what I told them all, my whole family had various reactions. I had been like the light, if that makes sense, the sort of the child that like was the best example of all things Christian and um, the poster child, right? For everyone of what to do. And now I was like, the darkness, right? Mm. I had gone this other route. And um, and then you start to realize that's something that should have happened a long time ago, where you start to choose things separate and apart from your family. Mm-hmm. It happens in your teens if you're healthy, right? 
or right after. So there's uh, the rest of my life has been this recovery, not just from the church, but from never having really gone through adolescence and self-discovery and defining friendships and defining relationships the way that I think a healthy human's intended to do so. Um, because, because I allowed the doctrine of the church to sort of be my number one guide and it, and it didn't allow for me to be. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's my journey with the church. Wow. Um, what, uh, so, okay. Um, I, can you, I, Justin and I didn't grow up in church of Christ. So I just, can you tell us a little bit about what that denomination's like, what, what's their MO? What's the, what, what are they like? Yeah, um, I guess the way I would describe it is if you know Baptist, just think of Baptist, but even more um, by the letter of the law. So um, Church of Christ, you don't sing um, except a cappella mm. because singing with instruments is not explicitly allowed in the New Testament per their, you know, their view. Um you can't own like buses and um, things that are like too extracurricular because like everything's supposed to be to serve like worship. So like we couldn't have like a kitchen dining area. Um, what? Couldn't dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any mi- could you use microphones? We could to use sing? microphones. Yes, we could. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so it was actually kind of cool though because we could all we all beers. We could all sing really well. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, it was so funny because you would kind of like, I would challenge things, right? As you get older, I'd be like, well, in Acts, they sold all things and had them in common. Why aren't we doing that? Mm. Oh, well, technically, blah, 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 whatever. Like, you're clearly choosing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the best way to describe it. It's just very conservative, very, um, it needed, we need explicit sort of chapter verse and a lot of study as to why other religions were wrong, other particular faiths were wrong. I knew a lot about Judaism, Roman Catholic thought, Lutheran thought, you know, because we were defending mm-hmm. what was quote unquote right, mm-hmm. which is quite a cult. I mean, it really is. And all of them know each other and even the churches of Christ judge each other you know, based upon, well, that one's actually correct. That one's, you know, and they had divisiveness amongst themselves and you're just like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I left that ultimately because I wound up eventually finding myself in an angelical church, right? Mm-hmm. Huge ass church. And I'm like singing on the stage, you know, like praising God with my head up in the air. <laughs> which felt so uncomfortable. But at least I made that journey, which I'm thankful for because I do feel like it's been a steady progression to the true truth, if that makes sense. And you kind of have to fight your way through it. You have to, each little move, even though I was still closeted and each move was moving me in the right direction towards ultimately um, freedom from, I would say, religion. Um, I still feel like I have a faith in a universe in some greater power. Um, yeah, but it's so hard. I don't know about you guys. I really struggle with the fact that there's so many great things that came from the Christian experience as well. Right. So there's yeah. so take apart because you're like, I have strong character. I have a strong sense of, of, of right and wrong in the best ways. And 
you have empathy for the weaker mm. and you will you will do things if you're honest with yourself you will do things because you were taught and shown these beautiful practices that are part of of christian faith so mm-hmm. I mean, and there's that introspection and intellectual stimulation you talked about in the beginning that you're taught as a child. You're like searching within when other people are watching cartoons, you know. <laughs> and it doesn't go away, you know. I um, it's, I don't well, I don't think it, if you want it to go away, but I find it hard to turn off. Um, and I will say this in, in this weird part of now battling. It sounds like bad to say battling, but my ex-wife uh, married a Baptist man. Mm-hmm. strongly anti-gay um and my children are raised in an environment where i say anti-gay you know there's no, no nothing queers allowed in the house like no rainbows no celebration of any of that black lives matter was shunned there's blue lives matter flag hanging outside think just like far republican right christian and um and i i look at that and now i'm almost like I'm anti all of that, right? And it's it's not about um, a belief in a higher power because the things that are justified on that side, I'm like, where's Jesus in this? Mm-hmm. I don't see Christ in these things. Um, you don't, you know, you just don't. And so now I, I have this like almost, am I working out against the church? Because I think of things like I'm anti-conversion therapy period, period, for my psychological damage and the work I've had to do to overcome that damage, I am not for any child ever going through that again. Well, for lots of people in churches, they would say that is core against their belief system. You know, we're called out as an abomination in many, right next to lying and adultery, which are core tenets of Christian faith. And we, or at least I now truly believe, yeah, that's a bunch of bullshit. I don't care what your little words say. I don't. We exist. And it's not okay for you to treat children in a way that makes them hate themselves. Because when you hate yourself, um, you really are then extremely prone to everything. Drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things to cover up your own self-hatred. Mm-hmm. It drives you to addictive behavior. It drives you to self-destructive behavior. It drives you to suicide. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's not okay. So although your religion's real cute and showed up whatever, you know, whenever it was written, it doesn't work, practically speaking, for 7% of the population. And you got to yeah. fix it or you, know, you got to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> wow. What, yeah. what a journey you have been on. <laughs> yeah. But you and know, especially yeah. in the South, too. I mean, has that been a, like, do you feel like that's been a factor to play as well? I mean... I grew up in the Bible Belt, and so I, I definitely feel like there's um, a cultural um, identity around Christianity in that. But but how do you feel like that the being in the South has has played a part in, in that uh, journey for you? You know, I do envy sometimes other peoples in other parts of the world where there's not so much of that Bible Belt. But I also believe strongly that I am placed where I am for a reason. And that each of us are for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I still have that, you know, faith universe. Stuff yeah. and, um, and I'm okay with that. Um, I think that the South underneath all the religiousness and the cattiness, it has borne 
some pretty great leaders. If I think about MLK and his background, particularly, I, he's like one of my heroes in life, right? Um, who had this Christian background and used the Bible to help reshape and reframe and free his peoples in a sense, right? Uh, I think that in the South, what I've noticed is I meet people from New York City, from LA, um, from Chicago, from Texas, people in the South underneath it all can be extremely sweet and sincere. They really can be. And especially my LA friends, they're like, oh my God, you're so real. You're so <laughs> you're so sincere. And I'm like, bitch, like, we're sweet in the South, right? <laughs> really sweet. We can be. And I think um, that's, that's the good thing about having had a, a Christian background or a faith-based background. We can be very sweet and sincere and loving. I mean, if you, you know, as much as you had someone in the church that was like, you know, you should wear a tie and suit to church, young man. You had some other sweet granny who was like, well, I bake this for Miss Molly Mae down the street because she's sick right now. And it's like, oh, like, I want to be like you. <laughs> I um, I like that I've fought it out here, um, and I like that I have. I, I feel like it has helped me develop the arguments that are much more practical and real as to why these things are not okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, if they don't hold up, and they're not going to hold up, if you're going to use the Bible as your measuring stick, it's not going to hold up. Mm. Like meaning, like there, I think there's still there's still enough inertia in the Bible that says that we're not good. That I just, I'm not going to argue from the Bible's point of view. There's also things in the Bible that really, really, really justify women as second-class citizens, period. Mm-hmm. You, know, you shall not speak aloud in the church. You shall wear a head covering. That's just in the New Testament, period. So you're going to have to either decide that there's cultural interpretation that you've got to evolve the Bible, or you're just not going to, you're not going to argue from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there are, you know, besides just gay. Mm-hmm. Um, what? Besides just gay. I want to know um, about what it's like being a, a gay dad. I mean, I don't have kids. I don't know if I'm ever going to have kids, but but are you pretty open with your daughters about about what you know who you are and and what was that like process like with them? So I'm probably far too open, maybe. <laughs> but I think so. This is my Helmut's opinion on parenting. Um, and maybe it's about the gay experience too. Once you find your authentic self, and I see this more in the trans friends that I have than anyone else, but once you're authentic self, you're kind of unapologetically it, right? I mean, the trans women I know are like, girl, I am gorge, I am beautiful, I am fantastic, because they fought so hard for that, you know? And I felt like as a gay man, once I sort of let it be, I'm just like, yes, I'm gay. And I'm beautifully gay. And then let's move on because I'm still a great business leader and I'm still a great dad. One of the things that um, was my greatest fear in coming out as I cried in my office up in Alpharetta, Georgia, the first person I came out to outside of my family was a straight man who came in my room. He was um, closed the doors and he was like, Helmut, something's wrong. You're going to tell me this is a circle of trust um, and, and I'm, I'm going to help you out. <clears throat> and um, I shared with him, like, my greatest fear was being a bad dad. And he said, Elmo, you're a great dad, straight, quote, unquote. <laughs> you're still a great dad, gay. But what that became was, if you think about it, 
when you are honest and vulnerable with your friends or with your loved ones, you level up, you level them up, right? I'm sorry I hurt you this way. I felt this way and I did this. Um, or you tell them, you tell your children, the more you tell them, the more equipped they are to deal with real life, right? Like whatever it is. And so finding my authentic gay self, fighting for that over the last 11 years, as I've done it, I've just told my children along the way everything, right? I'm like, I don't want you to fear masturbation. I don't want you to fear, um, I don't want you to be a second class citizen in your marriage. I want you to, you know, I want you to pursue the things that um, are your passions, but I want you to respect your body, right? And you just, the more we talk openly with our children, the better. We're like leveling up, right? Like we're going to let the TV tell them. We're going to let other kids tell them or some other parent. Like, why would you withhold that? And I will say this, um, it's, I'm right now at the strangest intersection of all. So I told you guys I live in Midtown, right? Center of Gay Mecca. And now I go out with my children to dinner or I take them to the pool. Um, there are other homos all around, right? Some of them are cute. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I am single. And it's so peculiar, interesting, unique to sort of have this like, here are my three daughters, right? And me being us in the middle of queer town <laughs> and, and bravely doing so with no instruction kit. Mm -hmm. There's no, and it's not like you're like, gays tend to want to fit in. Um, they, they didn't fit in for so long. They really like to like, where are my friends? Where's my crew? Where are my people? And I'm like, I'm my own drum, right? Um, but I will say this, I think that gay men make excellent parents. And I'm not saying that just because I, I like my own parenting. <laughs> I think that gay men have, those who would desire children have experienced so much to get where they're at that I think that they're so much more sensitive to the experience of, of others. They can be. Mm -hmm. So a gay man who really, really, really wants to have children, he really wants to curate a life, I hope, right? And, and grow it. And, and the, the bars are harder to get there, but it makes me sad that they are because um, I see the way that gay men will take care of their pets. Um, as a surrogacy, right, or, or gunkle their um, their nieces and nephews, and um, I think there's something pretty pretty splendid about being gay. And other gay dads I know, um, you know, take it on very seriously. So, mm. but there's no there's no perfect, right? I mean, there are straight parents, and there will be gay parents who are not good parents. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's how, my interpretation, sort of, of what you said in a way, is that being gay has allowed you to be like just a more open parent because you know firsthand what it's like to not have any openness as a child. Like you mentioned several times, like just manage it on my own, shove it in. So having experienced that, you can give your daughters sort of a, it's okay to talk about this. It's okay to do this. It's let's, let's open this up and free it up. Me being raised by my parents, very religious there. It was kind of like you mentioned, there was no, openness <laughs> it was like a very wow. closed thing yeah yes and, and and fear so then there's all these fears um in church of like what will the other people think right mm -hmm. 
what will, oh my gosh, if you have a glass of alcohol, you're going to become an alcoholic. <laughs> All these ridiculousnesses instead of like, let's be real girls. I don't want you to go to college and be raped because you're having your first alcoholic, you know, line and, and you become drunk and, you know, whatever. Like, no, we're going to learn that at home. <laughs> at home we're going to talk about psychedelics and how after your age 25 they're fine <laughs> that's my rule um, whether they follow that or not okay but you know i want your brain to be fully formed but i have facts and reasons for it right and i'm not saying no because you guys know as people when you're told no now it becomes the tree mm -hmm. you know of knowledge of good and evil which by the way maybe it's a blessing we have the tree <laughs> seriously yeah yeah so and and let's be real like don't you want wouldn't you want your children to be seekers to to go out there and research and find their paths and and not put the constrictions of what they will be and it's because i think the other part too is you guys know this there's still a moral center to you mm -hmm. at some level mm -hmm. um, and the things I'm, I don't know where you guys are, where now I'm trying to, I'm still trying to figure out um, some aspects of, of life, um, particularly right now, my mind's around like what, what degree of, of sexual interaction is okay and healthy and what isn't. Hmm. In our culture now, in the gay community, we're like way over here, right? We've got prep and we've got like, yay orgy time and you're like oh is that good is <laughs> is it good when is it good when is it not good right i know what addiction is addictions when you're not you know doing things that you should, should do um because of your desire for alcohol or sex or whatever but um right now we have a lot of sex positivity in our in our community which is great but um what does that really mean so these are all things that i still feel like we're defining right but our I don't know about you guys, I find I'm constantly going back to, well, here was my old religious center. Mm. It said, and here's what I'm currently experiencing in my culture. Now, what do I really think is good for me? Mm -hmm. And good to, this is, I guess, maybe a part, Justin and Calvin, that is different as a parent. I have to have a point of view that I have to express to my kids. Get mm -hmm. some, some, like I, some, like something has to be emitted from my mouth on any given topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Although I guess it's just figure it out on your own kids. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's, that's the one thing where you feel a little bit maybe more obligation to work things out for yourself because now there are others who are maybe going to be influenced greatly by your perspective. Mm. Where, where are your parents with you now? Uh, you said at the beginning that your father, um, that, that even though you, define morality as different things that 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 you're seeing in yourself that 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 strong like um need character. to have yeah to have character exactly so 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 you, yeah how are they supportive of who you are now and, and what what is that relationship like so what i would say is number one what's really interesting about both of them is that <clears throat> they both emphatically state that they just love me, right? They love me, they love me, they love me, they love me. Um, and I finally come to the understanding that they can't leave their, they can't leave their religion, their faith that they still go to every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, because for them, that's sort of like 
like they lived their whole lives wrong, right? And age 75 and 72, that's like huge, right? That's like, I put my castle on this building and at the very end of my life, you're like, fuck it, it's the wrong building, you know? <laughs> right. Like that's huge. So my mom and I kind of went back through history and, and went through, you know, several different moments that she forgets that I remember. At one point, we both agreed that one of us is crazy. <laughs> Basically, one of us is insane. Okay, we're fine. Um, she will never, you know, she really is kind of the love the sinner, hate the sin. Um, and she can't move from that point. And that's okay, right? And I still love her. And I, um, I still sit at the table and try to convince her otherwise. I won't ever stop being a teacher. Um, but we're able to love each other and just leave that as it is. Because that's, that's just not going to change. That was a big deal for me to let go of that. Um, and my father's very much the same, you know. But with him, I'm able to talk a little bit more about, Dad, you do realize this religion is the reason that colonialism was so capable to happen, right? This religion was an amazing tool to get people to focus on building families, working, giving their money to the church, helping the state grow, and then seizing lands from other people. Like that is what this religion did well. Um, yes, it brought other things, but not all those things were great and good for the other peoples but it helped them conquer. Like it is a device, it is a tool, it is a social tool. And when you see it in that context, it changes your whole perspective, right? Is this really about loving Jesus or is this about command and control of the populations? And, it, and it's even like, I feel it's like so nefarious too because it's built around like love and it's built around eternity and it's built around, um, around hell. And, and so the people who are within it don't, and who are born into it, especially, um, have no context for, for seeing it as that device. Like, like you don't have consent to be colonizing when you're a colonist. Like, you just are doing that and it feels right and you have the right to do so and it's like you're, you're calling. Um, uh, you're calling as a colonist to colonize. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it just sucks that like, I don't know, being, being in there and in, in colonizing and now evangelizing as people, um, you know, go out and try to convince other people to, to, to change their ways and, and to, you know, do what I'm doing. Um, it's rather than like, Hey, who are you? And, and what's your, what's your take? You know, um, mm -hmm. it's like the assumption uh, like, of, of wrong being wrong. It is. It's like, um, it's like you're raised in a set of software around you, right. For like, for my like healthcare tech background, right? Like the software around you, the sounds you're hearing, what you're seeing, what you're told, all the messaging, it's a mind game, right? A mind control. And my whole set, my whole stereo sets like Church of Christ, Jesus. Um, and it's, you don't even know it. You're just in it. Right? It's like the matrix. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, and it's so interesting. It was, I was uh, walking in Salt Lake City with my daughter in the mountain and we were passing someone, this is my, then she was 17. And I was like, wow, do you ever realize that we all are raised like with different sets of glasses on, right? You're kind of, whatever it is, you know, I'm, I'm Hindi, I'm like Christian or whatever. She's like, yeah, dad, it's amazing. And I just don't understand why people don't understand they can take them off. Mm. And I'm like, 
God, I wish I had been you at 17, right? <laughs> right. All that knowledge that like, yeah, boo, you can take that off, put another set on. Like that is a, a very freeing knowledge. And I'm so thankful and hopeful for the future because um, I really do believe that people will learn how to take those off. I, I, I'm fearful in that I still don't want people. That's why I said like, we still got to work through what's our perspective without those glasses and those headsets and that software because we're all going to have something that we're raised in right all of us and the future generations will and that's where it's on us as um you know people who aren't children <laughs> to think about what is the universe we want to or the world right that we want our our kids to be raised in and if you're someone who doesn't have children you're still influencing that world mm-hmm absolutely still influencing that um, experience and just think about what is it that you feel like is important for people to understand and i think that people are still scared of being judgy and judgmental right because we're like oh we don't do that but but i hope we are <laughs> it was someone taking a gun and killing another human we know that one that one's what we can all agree on right mm-hmm. what are the other healthy limits that we need as humans that's ours to figure out in this new experience called America. Mm-hmm. I want. Oh. I was going to say, Calvin, before we go, you should ask your famous question. <laughs> and well, I can, I wa- and I I can want- go a little late, Calvin. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to know a little bit more about the podcast so that our listeners can come and find you at the Daily Dose. Um, thank you so much for having me on a uh, um, on an episode, and. Um, and yeah, just tell us a little bit about that. And then, um, and then I'll ask you the famous question. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so the daily dose, um, started in November. Um, like I didn't really know the cast members before, um, we, I found them in COVID. I lost my job. I'm like a big executive type. And then all of a sudden I lost my job. I was like, what am I going to do? And, um, I had been on this journey of finding healthy connections in the gay community for about two years. So it wasn't until about 38 that I was like, oh my God, I'm gay, let me try all the things. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, all that stuff at 30, 38, okay? Talk about a late bloomer. <laughs> um, and it was about 41, I was like, uh, I don't know about this. So I really was looking for strong gay connections and it's hard, the gay community, a lot of gay men sort of like give up on that and just, they got great straight friends or whatever. And, I wound up having a men's group in my house um, where we had a really cool friend who was like, let's talk about deeper issues and deeper questions. And we had these conversations that was kind of like church. It felt a lot like small group, okay? Mm-hmm. You're delving through all these feelings. And then I researched mental health for nine months with a healthcare tech startup right before COVID. And, you know, besides um, drug therapy and talk therapy, um, the number one contributor to our mental health is family. Mm. And in gay men, particularly, there is um, kind of a lone wolf mentality. There is a pandemic of loneliness in our culture. Mm. There is a gap of gay fathers that died off due to HIV AIDS who would have pre- created greater social structure for gays today, right? They're just not there. The ones that um, fought very hard for the rights that we do have alongside their lesbian um, sisters. But that family is often missing for gay men. And it may be one or two 
you know, gay friends, sisters. Um, but I found that by creating this group, kind of was like this family that kind of touched on more spiritual and emotional things than just how cute those new shoes are from Prada this season, you know? <laughs> um, and so then pushing it into a podcast, I wanted intergenerationality on it. So I got a 20 something, a 30 something, 40 something. Um, I wanted difference in backgrounds. So I'm, you know, I am mostly white with a very Hispanic Latin influence on my mom's side. We've got a, a young black guy um, and then sort of a, like our ginger white dude. <laughs> all very different uh, classes and educations to talk about all things gay within different experts and perspectives. Um, because I sincerely believe that what we saw in the election cycle, but also what we've seen in history coming out of times like these, um, if you look back to after the 1920s, you have ultimately some of the very nationalistic thought that dominated Europe and then suppressed gay, queer, black, Jew, right? Um, it was not just the Germans who were anti-Semitic after the, you know, after the 1920s, it was very, very widespread. Um, and these groups are often targeted, often and uh, usually targeted. And so there's a risk that that can happen to us, right? We can't just be like, hey, we're done, because we're not. Um, and I would say even at a global level, we're not done, right? If you look at things that are happening in many other places across the, the globe, and they're often funded by, guess who? The evangelical church. <laughs> oh, so, so um, evil. It's so evil. It's, <sighs> it is. It is. And then you're like, listen, you know, like, what, what can you do? You know, mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I created the podcast, um, and I'm hopeful that it can be a vehicle for um, sharing around these different things, things like how, how do you adopt, right, as a gay man? Um, what's it like to have a 20-some-year-old relationship as a gay person? Um, like, these are things that we don't get a chat about enough. And mm -hmm. I talk about all things gay because, um, because I think that's important. And that it's not just about, let me be really clear, RuPaul's one of my all-time heroes, okay? I love what she's done for us in helping us learn self-love. Um, and um, but it's not all glamorous and you know beautiful and shiny, which is what she and her sisters do for us. She makes us look amazing and sparkly and fabulous, right? But there's a lot of us that's dirty and dark and still struggling to figure ourselves out. And I like being in that place because I feel like that's the place where we need um, we need healing. Mm. We need reality. Uh, met too many guys that I'm like, oh my God, you are clearly strung out on a very addictive drug. You're trapped in some sort of sex behavior that's not healthy. You've met those people. You've mm -hmm. seen people. They're part of our community too. Um, and if we don't speak to issues that help all of us elevate, then we're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. We have to write that script. We have to write that narrative and then, and then live it. Yeah. So, and I'm, that's why I'm so, I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing with this podcast. I feel like there are so many people who, um, who've experienced so much trauma through their faith backgrounds and to come to a place where they can um, experience fellowship with others who are, have done the same. That is a critical part of the healing process for all of those humans. Mm. I've told you this before, Calvin, and now you, Justin, I think this is also extended, not just to the homosexual community, 
Um, I think straight people suffer from, from so many of these same things around their own identities. Um, and gays being vulnerable, men being vulnerable about these things is extremely encouraging and attractive to the straight community. Mm. Because we're so real and we're so open in a way that mixes female and male, mm-hmm. right? Um, that that actually can be very much, I believe, a form of light to straight people mm. who are willing to listen. Um, yeah, we need we need each other's perspectives for sure. Huh? We need each other's perspectives. Yeah, we do, and we need theirs. But you know, times you guys know it. How many times have you been together with your straight friends? They will tell us everything. <laughs> everything because you're already wearing this badge of like i'm a faggot right so they're like well she's out girl like (laughs) judge me that i did this and that or Mm -hmm. this and like and it's a great it's a great thing it's something that we're called to do as homosexuals Mm. or at least we can be if we are Mm -hmm. willing to take that um take up that challenge or that opportunity it's pretty cool to be queer. I got to admit. <laughs> I'm a <Agreed>. fan. <laughs> uh, okay. One last final question. Thank you so much, Helmut, for being with us today. Yes. Um, if you, like, what, if, if you had a, a really big um, megaphone and you got to speak to, to every single church leader and Christian and recovering person out there, or like anybody who's still involved in the church, um, what what would you give them as a piece of advice or something that they could do better um, in, in their, in their you know, how they address the world and the people around them or even themselves? Yeah, oh, this is a hard, like, that's huge. That's a huge, that's a huge. <laughs> you get one piece of advice. It was the famous question. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to um, sort of my, it's a helmet belief, right? So I'll just say what I'll say. So I, I just would strongly encourage you to consider that 7% of the population is not an accident or this sinfully made and wrought group. If we were all chosen by God from the beginning, you know, made and knit in the womb. Um, and I still believe we are all his chosen people. We like, we're not accidents. <laughs> um, and if I, as an earthly father know to love my daughters, and if one of them is gifted enough to be a lesbian, um, that's a gift that's a beautifully, wonderfully wrought human that was made that way. And I think you can take all your, your, you know, your verses and all that great, you know, fun stuff. But the reality is, is that we exist. And unfortunately, when you really follow what your word says, um, it ends with the hatred of us. It ends with literally the public killings of us queers. It's over. Right now in Jamaica, for a group of people to rally around someone and kill them, stab them, and leave their bodies to bleed and die in the streets today. Okay? Because that's like permitted and encouraged by Christian faith. I just think that we are absolutely the opposite. I think that if you think about what gay people can bring to a church 
or bring to any endeavor, the sincerity and the focus we can bring because we don't always have children, um, the sensitivity that we have, the artistry that we have. There's so much beautiful in the world that comes from queer people. So I would just use the evidence of, I think that God made us uniquely not to be thorns, but to be gems in the crown of Christianity. Mm. Just um, if you're scared of that, then you're just scared of humanity. Mm. Your faith can't find a place for us. Then your faith isn't practical and it's not useful. And so you, you're, you're there for it your whole practice is not useful and usable. Mm. It has to be useful and usable for it to be pragmatic, right? Mm-hmm. Honestly. And for 7% of us, it destroys us. So rethink the way that you're promoting Jesus. Because I will tell you right now, what if Jesus was gay? Girl, I'm serious. You know, <laughs> you know he was with the prostitutes. He was with the sinners. And I can say that's where you're going to find love is with the hurting and with those who, um, who the, I guess the system doesn't work well for. Mm. And I just think that's where Jesus spent his time. Um, he would have been at a gay brothel, <laughs> you know? So um, I guess that's what I would say. Just yeah. think it because, because it, it needs to work for all of us. Yeah. Um, and, and it should and it's, it's our responsibility to make sure that everyone is encouraged to have a healthy, happy life. That's yeah. respectful and honoring of our bodies and ourselves and our community. So, Wow. Thanks. Beautiful. Megaphone worthy, but whatever. <laughs> it was beautiful. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank and you. Is it a show? Do we get? Do, do I get to say that? Yes. I feel like we're on a talk show. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> it is. It is a. It is a show, girl, and, um, and one that I continue. Ho- hopefully, continues to see great success. I'm very yeah. nice for what you're doing, and thankful for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, oh, oh, oh. Okay, just just tell us what's happening on June 22nd, and then and then we'll go. Okay. Sure. On June 22nd, we are doing a. Um, we're actually going to live stream on our social media platforms are all the Gaily Dose pod. Um, but we're going to do a, um, a live recording of our podcast at a, a place here called Outfront Theater. Um, and it is featuring three politicians. Um, and um, Richard Elmore's our, our MC. Um, all of them are gay men. Um, and then our three, our three cast members. And we're going to talk through conversion therapy, um, why am I choosing between being gay and being fiscally responsible? <laughs> Workplace equity, um, you know, all these issues that are super important to us as gay people, uh, but I think also extended to the straight community. But we need to start being a little bit more selfish, I think, about the gay political agenda um, and, and keep pushing gay candidates, but also have a really great forum and discussion like trans laws right now. I mean, these are things that are super important um, and if, you know, if this election cycle previously and the sentiment of this country taught us anything, mm-hmm. it's that we need to engage double down now Yeah, because we don't need to be in a situation four years from now in which we're facing into these same ridiculous questions as to whether or not 
um, it's okay for you to be anti-gay. It's just mm. not possible. Yeah. Well, I'm super excited about that. And um, yeah. we'll live stream it. I've never done that stuff, Calvin and Justin. Just, <laughs> <laughs> so it should be fun. Very it's going cool. to be great. Yes. And I can't wait to hear it. So um, yes. I'll be tuning in. Um, and uh, yeah, you should, uh, everyone should go uh, rate, review, and subscribe. How Moots the Gaily Dose. And uh, love it. Listen to it. Share it. And, um, and we hope to have you on again soon. I would love that. Thank you guys so much. You guys have yeah. a rest of your day. <laughs> right, you Thank too. you. Great to Bye. meet you. <laughs> Thank you. You too. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.